Welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Sean. And I'm Brian. How are you doing, Brian, on this very cold, wintry day? Well, I'm chilly, Sean, but otherwise, okay. And how about you? Freezing my ass off, but super as always. <laughs> so, listeners, dear listeners, today's film features an actress who was the inspiration for this podcast and is quite possibly the quintessential actress of the 1990s, bookending it all the way from 1990 to 1999. Brian, who am I talking about? Clever internet listeners of ours may have seen her face obscured by the word appeal on our icon. It is none other than Winona Horowitz, otherwise known to the rest of us. Why no forever? (laughs) Winona Ryder. You know, Sean, I do use the word sister a lot on this podcast. I think I've referred to Patty Lapone as my Sicilian sister. I've referred to Angela Bassett as my Yale sister. I don't actually have a real sister. I'm an only child. But if I had an older sister, I think she would look like and act like Winona Ryder, or I hope she would. That is what Winona Ryder means to me. She is that cool artsy, slightly nerdy Jewish girl who is just the best. That is the way I think of Winona Ryder. And you're that kind of, you know, nerdy, awkward, Jewish-looking man. (laughs) So I can see why you two would have a connection. Winona Ryder had an extraordinary career, as you just pointed out, for about a decade. Big commercial hits, all kinds of genres, Worked with great directors, Tim Burton, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Oscar nominations, dated celebrities, Johnny Depp. And now, where is she? She's on HBO. Yeah, she did have a small role in that David Simon Show Me Hero, which we haven't seen yet. We're sorry. But we're sorry. The thing is, Winona Ryder deserves to be, in my opinion, doing so much more. And her disappearance fills me with more pain than nearly anything we've covered so far in this podcast. When we were thinking about this episode, we kind of realized that Winona Ryder, in her most prominent films, probably acted opposite and alongside women as much as an actress is expected to act opposite a man. Yeah, I mean, how many movies that come out today have multiple female relationships? In other words, how many films that come out today fly through the Bechtel test? Not many. Let's think of a few Winona Ryder films that have largely female parts. Well, number one, uh, featuring 1987's Best Actress Oscar winner Cher is... Mermaids. Mermaids. How to Make an American Quilt. Yes, perhaps not maybe the (laughs) most uh, cinematically uh, artistic Doesn't matter. But you know... Little Women. Little Women, absolutely, which also features brilliant young actresses, uh, Kirsten Dunst and Claire Danes, as well as Susan Sarandon. Alien Resurrection. Yes, which I haven't seen. And then the film that we are going to be covering today, which apparently was a passion project for Winona Ryder, who also executive produced it. Girl Interrupted. Yes. This film means something to me, and it's probably the first film we've done in this podcast where the film represents a very particular point in my life. Girl Interrupted was my teenage angst film, and like many gay boys, I couldn't identify with men. So I had to have a film about women to identify with. Girl Interrupted is a bit like a poor man's teenage one flew over the cuckoo's nest 
rip off <laughs> with Whoopi Goldberg with Whoopi Goldberg in the Nurse, nurse Ratched mm-hmm. role thankfully there is no real Nurse Ratched character oh, in this good. okay so Girl Interrupted is a is a film that's based on a book by a woman called Susanna Kaysen. It was a very slim little uh, memoir told in vignettes about her time in the late 1960s in a psychiatric hospital, in a mental institution. Susanna was a girl who really didn't believe that she had anything wrong with her and that she wasn't, that she didn't believe she was crazy. And it draws parallels to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in the sense that, what, McMurray, isn't it? McMur- McMurphy. McMurphy, that's, that's it. I was so sorry, Larry McMurtry yeah. is the author, author of Lonesome Dove. The guy who wears jeans to the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Go on. So McMur- the, the McMurphy character in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest we know is there for because he wants to kind of escape the law and in a, in a mental institution he can't be prosecuted, that kind of stuff. Susanna Kaysen is a girl who feels disenfranchised with the world. She feels that her destiny is prescribed for her. And she feels apathetic and ambivalent. Ambivalence is a word we're going to hear in the movie a little bit. Is it? Yes, it is. And because people don't know how to deal with her, they put her away. Now, I didn't, I, I have to admit, I didn't realize this was a period piece. So this movie is set in the 1960s. Oh, it's an absolutely 1960s period piece. Wow. Yep. Is there going to be like 60s music and stuff? Yes, there is. Wow. And it's like... A... And there's also footage of the 60s as well. Okay. Yeah. There's a little bit of Vietnam. The war. Yeah, not okay. <laughs> no. They take a brief sojourn <laughs> to Phuket. <laughs> so, can I ask you a question, Sean? You've read her memoir. I have. The characters in the movie are definitely characters from the book as well, but as of course with many kind of biopics, they change things to suit the film, and we'll see how that turns out. You're saying this film meant a lot to you as a angsty teenager. Did you seek it out? Was it something that you just discovered? Were you kind of thinking, I need a female archetype on which to project my adolescent longings and urges? It was not that thought out. To be honest, it was, I remember watching an ad for it on uh, Sky Movies. We didn't have Sky Movies, so the ad was tantalized in front of me. I knew Angelina Jolie was a very, very up-and-coming actress. You see, we've just mentioned her now. We haven't put the focus on her, while much of the focus of the film is on her. So you thought to yourself, "That's Lara Croft." That's she was. <laughs> she won the Golden Globe for Gia. No, I thought there's Lara Croft. I hear she's an actress. Let's find out what she's been in. And I mentioned once before on this podcast, Kieran's video shop in Lanesbury County, Longford, was where that video cassette looked at me a lot, and it did look at me because it's a very extreme close-up of Winona Ryder's face on the cover. Kiernan's Video Shop, does it still exist today in Lanesburg County Long? I don't think Video Shop exists anywhere, Brian. Well, R.I.P. Kiernan's. My, uh, my, I, I'm going to shout out to Video To Go in Milton, Massachusetts, which is now Video Gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the, the VHS was whispering to you saying, Sean, Sean. Watch me, watch me. Check yourself into this psychiatric institution with these actresses and what did the film mean to you i know it's lodged itself into your brain because there's certain catchphrases from this film that i i must acknowledge you say to me oh, quite a bit yes <laughs> you, you see there's one character who says sure when she really means to say yes and is uh chastised gently by the nurse by whoopi goldberg and so because brian is a yankee doodle doo whenever he would say sure i'd say Yes means yes, Brian. It's like a Pavlovian response. You say you've seen it multiple times. Has your sort of 
view of the film uh, changed with multiple viewings. When you're an adolescent, you know, you kind of, you know, in a small town, whatever problems you have seem kind of amplified. And ultimately, I didn't really have that many problems. But I was in this kind of a state of being in school, not wanting to be in school, wanting to be elsewhere, wanting to be free. And Susanna Kaysen had all these kind of parallels of my own life in which I, I felt restless, I felt bored, being told what to do. And watching that film as a teenager, my response was, yes, I don't want to be here either, and somebody is keeping me here, and one day I will leave. Is this a film and a memoir about patriarchy? Um, ask me after we watch the film. No, I'm really interested because I, recently Gloria Steinem has been on her book tour for her new memoirs, and when she was being interviewed on NPR, someone asked about her mother, her mother who had some kind of depression issues and mental illness, and the interviewer was saying, you know, the interviewer, fresh air is Terry Gross, I might as well say it, <laughs> was saying, Gloria, do you think your mother had a psychiatric illness? And she said, well, I think if patriarchy is an illness... That's what she was suffering from. And should I expect this to be like a, a feminist analysis of the way that society treats women? That's what I'm hoping for, I have to say. Well, my caveat is that after seeing this film multiple times as a teenager, I then had, I, I had this uh, very, very sweet lover for a while. Who is that? I'm not mentioning any names here. <laughs> and he came to visit me when I was in Edinburgh, when I lived in Edinburgh for a year. And there was the Mental Health Film Festival was on. They were showing this movie. And I said to him, you know, if you want to really get an, get an insight into me, do you know what? We're going to go and watch this film in the cinema. And at the end of it, he kind of said to me, I don't really understand why you responded to that film so much. And to be honest, I saw a lot less of myself as well. So when you say you related to this film, do you mean you related to the Winona Ryder character, to the other characters? Predominantly I identify with the Winona character. There are times where I identify with others and there are lots of times where I wanted to identify with the Angelina Jolie character. Who is she? Is she like the rebel? Well, this is one of those category fraud Oscars. <laughs> Winona Ryder is definitely, definitely the leading actress, but Angelina Jolie's presence is almost dual lead in terms of the impact she has on the story. Okay. So she is quite brilliant in this film. She's the kind of friend, Brian, you always wanted. No, she I want to be no, 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 no. I don't want a troubled friend. No, no, you want a troubled friend. You know why? Because why? they're going to show you a really good time. No. They're going to get you into trouble. You're going to laugh about it. You wanted Angelina Jolie as a best friend, and I wanted Winona as an older sister. Perhaps that says something about us. Brian, it's also worth mentioning that this is... A film that has a prominent role, significant role, short but sweet. Well, short but very sad, actually, for Brittany Murphy. Oh, Yeah. Brittany Murphy, you know, who I wager, if she hadn't died and she had made better film choices, Brittany Murphy would have been an actress who would have become a terrific character actress and one day would be winning that same category that Angelina won at the Oscars. Yeah? Yep, I really believe... Can I just ask you, though, to trail back to the Winona thing for a minute? Sure. So when you saw Girl Interrupted and you're relating to Winona, did her other previous roles mean anything to you at that time? Had you seen Beetlejuice or Edward Scissorhands or Mermaids or any of oh, those ones? I'd seen them all. My whole childhood... Childhood? I'm talking about films for children. Ed, like Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, even Little Women... I just... Mermaids. Mermaids was a big family film in our house. Yeah. Winona Ryder was 
part of my childhood. I know she was part of yours because you were kind of of the similar age, but she was just this figure. Her and Christina Ricci. Oh, I'm starting to get sad now. Why? Because, well, you're mentioning Christina Ricci as well, who's someone else who needs to be doing better things. Like, where are they now? Come back to the five and dime. Christina Ricci. Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. (laughs) Sean, do you think I am going to like this film? I have yet to hear you describe a plot. Is this film just sort of episodic portraits of different people in a psychiatric institution? Does anything actually happen? Yeah, the lots happen, which is why I don't want to mention any of it. Okay. Okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. At the end of it, she leaves the institution because that is the natural progression. Well, I would assume because she went on to write a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the the story is a girl who gets put in a, in a psychiatric. Oh, can hospital. I just interrupt you? Uh, yeah, I knew so that was it's coming. Just, it's just Go on. an interruption in her life. Yeah. The the problem with this film, Brian, watching it again as an adult, is that it feels very adolescent in the sense that you think to yourself, and and thankfully many of the characters in this film will say to Sazana, "You are nothing but a spoiled brat." And I think that's partly why I related to it was because my problems as an adolescent, while real at the time are just things that disappear when you get older uh-huh. and Susanna is a character who's in many ways is too old to be adolescent and so this is quite an adolescent film she's largely unlikable so do you think Winona made a poor choice by putting all her eggs into this film because as far as I can tell this was a dream project for her she was the lead, but as you, as you seem to be implying, she's kind of an unlikable character, perhaps comes off as spoiled, a showier role is given to another actress. And really, let's be honest, this was Winona's last major film, right? I, I mean... It was. And as we may talk about later, she had her own kind of run-ins with depression and anxiety and criminality. Oh, Winona. Am I going to need some Kleenex when I watch this movie? You know, you know I do like to cry. Brian, it's really hard to tell. This is a very... This is a very divisive film. Uh-huh. Okay, you... There are lots and lots of characters that you can sympathise with. I don't know if you'll be crying for Susanna. Is Whoopi, is Whoopi Goldberg's role akin to Robin Williams' role in Goodwill Hunting? Is she kind of like a wise uh, giver of advice and tough love? Tough love? Like all people who give the best advice, she makes you realise it yourself. Mm. Um, I love and loved seeing Whoopi Goldberg in dramatic roles. It is a shame, such a shame, that she was contractually obligated to do such films as <laughs> Theodore Rex, where she could have been doing masterpieces like this. Or Corina Corina. <laughs> um, all right, well, without any further interruptions, <laughs> shall we watch the film? We should. And you know what, Brian? I've, I've been coy with this. I cannot wait to talk about this film afterwards. <laughs> oh, really, I why can't. have you been coy? Because I don't want to talk about the plot. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. So you've been, yeah. you've been restraining yourself. So once you watch the film, I'm going to go whole hog into it okay get ready for the explosion folks boom (laughs) girl interrupted see ya and lows increasingly severe. Controlling relationships with patients. No appreciable response to meds. No remission observed. That was before you ran away. We are very rare and we are mostly men. 
Lisa thinks she's hot shit because she's a sociopath. I'm a sociopath. No, you're a dyke. Borderline personality disorder. An instability of self-image, relationships, and mood. Uncertainty about goals, impulsive in activities that are self-damaging, such as casual sex. I like that. Social contrariness and a generally pessimistic attitude are often observed. Oh, that's me. That's everybody. I mean, what kind of sex isn't casual? They mean promiscuous. I'm not promiscuous. Brian, gut reactions on a purely cinematic level. Well, when the movie began, I was really surprised by its artistry. We sort of learn how it is that Susanna has ended up at Claymore, but it's told in this very fractured way, right? We don't get a kind of continuous narrative. You sort of, you get the vignettes like you get in the book. Right, but you kind of gradually learn what it is. She's basically a recent high school graduate. Mm -hmm. She is the only person in her class who is not going off to college. She also appears to be living in this 60s world where all the women kind of wear bouffant hairdos and dress in cocktail dresses. And she shows up at her parents' cocktail parties in, like, flannel shirts and, like, smoking and looking a bit like, you know, a French New Wave person, stuff like With that. With her Rosemary's Baby haircut. Yes, very pixie uh, Mia Farrow. She doesn't fit in. She has been having an illicit affair with an older ma- married man. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. He's the one looking in the hospital window when she is uh, she's brought in to get her stomach pumped. So the big incident that propels her, it seems, into this psychiatric institution is that she takes some aspirin and some vodka. Yep. A lot of aspirin and a lot of vodka. Yeah. The implication is that she had been intending to kill herself. Which is sent sort of without much choice in a taxi cab off to this place Claymore and then they tell her you can sign yourself in although it never feels like she has much agency in sort of deciding this and there isn't tons and tons of plot as you know Brian I'm a big fan of the melodrama and much of the melodrama the conflict exists internally in the domestic so in many respects Girl Interrupted is a melodrama but at the end the, the final scene in the film one of the final scenes in which the confrontation with Angelina Jolie's character critics have said it descends into melodrama using it uh, as a term of abuse for the film yeah I mean, I think it descends into problematic characterizations and bathos. I don't know. I It descends into something that did not need to be there. Yeah. Okay, but, but before we jump to the end, can we can we get to what this place claims? Yeah, yeah. Like? I think my main problem with this movie is I was kind of expecting it to be a semi-serious look at what it was like to be in a psychiatric institution since it is based on a non-fiction memoir. So what you're saying is you didn't get that impression. Well, I didn't really buy it. This is not a state hospital. No, and I think, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but I do know that the late 60s, early 70s were a time of real debate and reform as to how um, psychiatric institutions in the United States should be run. So I get the sense that this place, Claymore, is kind of not that really, really um, grim psychiatric institution of the old days. And in fact, Whoopi Goldberg's character, the nurse, says, I've worked in state hospitals, honey. Compared to that, this is a five-star hotel. 
It really sort of feels like a sorority house, a kind of strange sorority house of damaged girls who can't really escape, but who have all these kind of quirky personalities and are crossing back and forth into one another's rooms and playing the guitar. And I mean, maybe that is accurate, but a lot of the performances were pitched in a very particular way. It's like, here's the one who's a pathological liar. Here's the one who acts like she's a child. Well, um, since we're on that topic then, Brian, what did you think of the supporting characters, uh, the actresses and the roles they played? I thought they were all fine. I I didn't think anyone was a particular standout. I mean, Angelina Jolie, I can see why this was a breakthrough role for her. Why don't you describe her character of Lisa? Okay, so Lisa... Uh, her medical condition, we're told, is that she's a sociopath. But in terms of just personality, she's this thunderous, charismatic, troublesome, sexy force of nature. Yeah, so Winona's character, Susanna, is troubled, but in a kind of withdrawn and slightly passive, slightly catatonic way. Yeah, yeah and, and, and every time that Lisa shows up throughout most of the movie, certainly at the beginning... She's screaming and she's saying sexually outrageous things. Well, I mean, let's give her more credit than that. I'm not. This is the way it comes across. No, she's just screaming. She's yes, just, she is. She's kicking she's and not, screaming. No, she's shouting. There's a difference. Okay, she's not screaming. She's shouting. Yeah. Okay. What's the difference? The difference is when you're screaming, it's kind of a, it's kind of like some involuntary reaction to something to pain or shock or fear. She's shouting because she's angry and she's aggressive. I, the middle portion of the movie to me. Uh, is this kind of episodic thing where I think Winona Ryder as Susanna is at first sort of horrified. She's like looking around and she's thinking to herself, how have I ended up here? I'm not quote unquote crazy the way these people are crazy. And then gradually in this kind of slow way, she starts to bond with the other women and become friends with them, right? Yeah, and so why do you think she becomes friends with Lisa? Well, I mean, and this is where the movie kind of seems to want to have it both ways, right? Lisa is, in a sense, this kind of liberated person who speaks truth to power. She speaks her mind about sexuality. She speaks her mind about, like, the lies that are being told to them in this institution. She has clever ways of avoiding taking her medication. And as Susanna figures this out, she starts to copy some of Lisa's behavior. She's popular. Yeah, she's popular. And there's a kind of whole 60s um, anti-establishment vibe that she really embodies. Do you think that Angelina Jolie was deserving of her Oscar that year? It's a very, I mean, it's a scenery-chewing, scene-stealing. <gasps> I don't, okay, I'm going to disagree. Scenery-chewing, mm, really? What do you mean? Like, that evokes a negative sensibilities to me. Yes, and I was rather negative on it. But, I mean, don't you feel like, okay, don't you feel a bit like Susanna when you watch her, which is, okay, who is this person? No, no. So you weren't drawn to her? Not after ten minutes of that. The character has very little growth or dimension. But don't you think the way she plays her with her character, the way she moves her eyes, her mouth, her tone of voice, like her just like, she has a, this is the thing, Angelina Jolie is a lot more, much more of a physical actress than she was ever given credit for. I'm not disagreeing that she's physical. That's, I think, what I was trying to imply when I said scenery chewing. When I watch this film. She literally seems to be chewing the scenery. (laughs) She's constantly putting props in her mouth. She's like gnawing on things. That's literally, I bet she was. She wasn't gnawing on things. She is. She's 
she's very, her own hands, all sorts of props. I think it's. I'm I, not saying it's a bad performance. It is a misconceived character. It is a character that is meant to be this kind of not so crazy, energetic force of nature. She plays it as written. Okay, so then how does Winona, Winona play her character? I, I think of the two of them as doubles, right? Like, Winona is this sort of withdrawn, sleepy, unaware, kind of never really sure of what she's doing. And Angelina Jolie is like a thousand percent sure of what she believes about everything. She's constantly making judgments on everyone around them. Probably the scene that highlights the most the way in which which Lisa's uninhibitedness is meant to be a corrective to Winona's meekness is on the scene where they go out to the ice cream parlor. So they go to the ice cream parlor in a group because it's the last day of one of the girls. And while they're there, they're spotted by the wife of the professor that Susanna had hooked up with. Right. And Angelina Jolie is like sexually harassing okay, so the ice she, cream okay, boy. So she is using props in this one. Yeah, she's okay. like sucking on a cherry. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Oral fixation. Okay. So anyway, they're making tons of noise and laughing and in ways that, you know, the implication is women aren't supposed to do in the 1960s. And who walks over but Mary Kay Place? The great Mary Kay Place. <laughs> so she comes over and you have to admire her bravery, really. <laughs> I keep thinking about this every time I see it. There's a big group of women who you know are unstable and you come over to accuse one of them and say, I hope they lock you up for good. At which point Angelina Jolie steps in. In probably my favourite line in the movie just because it was completely unexpected. So she gave your husband a rim job. Big fucking deal. I bet he was begging for it anyway. <laughs> and then the girls start howling. Soon after that scene, Winona goes and has her first meeting with the doyen of the institution, the elegant and insightful Latin quoting... Dr. Dyke. <laughs> your name is not really Dr. Dyke. That's their nickname for her. Dr. Wick, played by Vanessa Redgrave. How many guys would I have to sleep with to be considered promiscuous? Textbook promiscuous. What do you think? Ten, eight, five. And how many girls would a guy my age have to sleep with to be considered promiscuous? 10, 20, 109. Oh, someone who's compulsively promiscuous might engage in a sex act with a guest in their room and then engage in another sex act during the same day with an orderly. Am I in trouble for kissing an orderly or giving my boyfriend a blowjob? And there's this really interesting back and forth. Yeah, and I'm glad it's there as well. It's like the argument that we still have to keep using today. At which point is a man promiscuous and at which point is a woman promiscuous? Right, so they... And she she questions it, you know? That was really getting at something, that there was some kind of liberation in the mind of Susanna that was going on partially through the influence of Lisa and the other women in this in this institution. And then and then Vanessa gives her speech about what it means to be ambivalent. Yeah. Do you know what that means, ambivalence? I don't care. If it's your favorite word, I would have thought you It would. means I don't care. That's what it means. On the contrary, Susanna. Ambivalence suggests strong feelings in opposition. Prefix as an ambidextrous means both. The rest of it in Latin means vigor. The word suggests that you are torn between two opposing courses of action. It was 
around this point that it all started to get a bit overladen for me. Yeah, it does, it does lag in the second part. I just wasn't sure how it was treating mental illness. Don't you find this to be a problematic portrayal? I would call it simplistic. That's why it's problematic. It's simplistic in what way? Simplistic in the fact that, oh, these women are all in hospital and they go to see a psychiatrist for their various ailments. It's very much kind of like a dividing of the mental illnesses to the dividing of the characters. The one who thinks she's a child, the one who, you know, is sociopathic, blah, 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 blah. But then it gets darker and stranger particularly around the subplot involving the Brittany Murphy character. Yeah, this is an unpleasant aspect of the film in which Brittany... Well, first of all, she starts off... Like, this is why I love Brittany Murphy. She starts off weird, and you're curious about her. What is up with her? You're like, wait, why is Ty acting so strange? (laughs) Why is she eating all that chicken? What happened to Rolling with the Homies? She's this aggressive little character of her own called Daisy. And um, they look under the bed and find these chicken carcasses and all these tinfoil. The chicken is associated with her father. Yeah, her father owns a deli with a a rotisserie asshole. And she won't eat anything that isn't that chicken. Then at some point in the plot line, her father pays to get her set up in a private apartment. So she leaves. Yeah, this is where it becomes a lot more plot driven, like device driven. And at this point, Angelina and Winona are buddies. They're friends. They're kind of like the mutual queen bees of the place, right? They break out of the institution. They end up in Daisy's appointed quote-unquote Betty Crocker-style house. With the eating chicken. And then this is where it really goes downhill because Angelina, in her kind of powerful truth-telling mode, lays it out to Daisy, who she's never really liked, what she feels is the real story, which is that the father has been sleeping with her all along. Everyone knows she's been sleeping with her. But what they don't know is, quote, Lisa is that she likes it and it's very disturbing really the mania in Brittany Murphy's eyes which she was always so good at you can tell that some line has been crossed the next morning Winona goes up to go to Brittany Murphy's room and finds that she's hung herself and the implication being that Angelina Jolie has driven her over the edge and this creates a rift the fact that she's seen Lisa drive Brittany Murphy to suicide seems to get Winona to do things, and particularly to write things down. And here is where I had real problems with the way the movie plays things out, because it's this kind of fallacy of the artist that somehow, if you're depressed, if you're suffering from borderline personality disorder or something, you just write all your experiences down in a book, you just start to speak, and that in a very short period of time, this, this will help you. Now, that may or may not be true. I'm not a psychiatrist, but the way that it's represented in the film it's is so It's that old-fashioned romanticism of mental illness. Well, and also the romanticism that somehow she's a little bit different than everybody because she's gifted as a kind of artist who can express herself. Is that point where she says to Melissa Redgrave, do you think I have ESP? And it all gets a bit weird because... The other women all seem to have very serious issues which, are which would not need being to be resolved. treated in some other way. Yeah. And Winona, in a relatively quick fashion, she's kind of going to be released from the institution. And then the other girls find her journal where she's written all this stuff. And I can understand why they would be upset because she's kind of distancing herself from them with the privilege of the kind of observer who's sane enough to write down everything that she's seen. Yeah, so Lisa is back in the hospital at this point, so she kind of instigates it. You know, I just thought that last bit with the diary and the uh, argument down in the labyrinthine halls 
was just a bit superfluous. I just really felt that, that it was so confusing to me, the depiction of the Angelina character. Her truth-telling and provocation are, are valorized throughout a lot of the movie as liberating, right? Then she goes too far with Brittany Murphy. She sort of seems to go too far with the Winona character. And then she suddenly becomes this, like, force of evil, it I seems know. like. Where are you going? I'm talking to you! Susanna! You don't like me anymore? No, I don't! Because you're free? You think you're free? I'm free! You don't know what freedom is! I'm free! I can breathe! And you, you're gonna go choke on your average fucking mediocre life! This is not a hard-hitting look at mental illness. Well, as far as I know, Susanna Kaysen was not entirely thrilled with the film. That feminist angle of it really breaks down in the, in the whole, like, final section of the movie with all this back and forth about Winona versus Angelina that I just didn't understand. In the first half, you asked if this was a film about patriarchy. Why do you think I didn't answer it? Because it's just muddled. Yeah, but let's bring it back to Winona Ryder herself. This is 1999, and the second line of the film, or probably even the first, is Susanna saying, have you ever stolen something when you had the cash? It's a crazy irony, because of course, the tabloid event that we kind of most associate with Winona Ryder and the kind of demise of her career is stealing... Shoplifting. Designer yeah. clothes from a Beverly Hills boutique. Which many people said was a cry for help. I mean, you know, why would she steal it? But the thing is, I was thinking this. Winona Ryder stealing some designer clothes, by comparison to some people in Hollywood, is not enough to sully their entire future. Yet somehow it did it to her. And I don't know why. I would say she had a relatively good girl image up until that point. There were no stories of substance abuse, crazy affairs. She was basically a teenager when she started. And I think it was quite a shock and a surprise. But clearly she was dealing with some personal stuff, as I, as I think she's acknowledged. And which may be what drew her to this material. Because there are questions around depression and the roles you're kind of forced into as a Cries young woman. for help as well. Yeah. I just wish that this movie somehow was a more authentic and powerful statement about that stuff. And I also wish that we'd now get the chance to see the older 40-plus-year-old Winona Ryder in roles that match the promise that the early Winona Ryder had. Remember she was Spock's mother in Star Trek. Great. <laughs> That's great. You know what? If you asked me today and you said, could you survive without a single movie for the rest of life by Angelina Jolie? I think I could. Yeah. And if they told me I could get a lot more performances from Winona Ryder... I think I would choose the latter. Yeah, of course you would. There is no way in hell that I would make that decision any other way. When you look at it, Angelina Jolie has not had that many big hits. I think she's a terrific actress. I really do. I really do. I just don't think she's had the opportunity to prove herself. But look at the not in Kung Fu Panda at least. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the problem with this movie, though, Sean. Like, it really should be a story about feminine solidarity. I mean, I think that's what it's hinting at. It's supposed and, to be, yeah. But we are now talking about it as Winona versus Angelina. It, it left me sort of dispirited. Uh, could we wrap up by talking about you and your personal attachment to this film? Yeah. Uh, have you 
Have you got it all out the way that Susanna does? Have you moved on past your feelings of projected association with this? I had a really good time watching this. There's definitely a sense of lingering connection. I could honestly, Brian, I could almost quote every single line. What is it that the lingering connection is? That sometimes in life you're directionless, that you feel like you've been told what to do, that you're being hurried to figure out what you want to do, and that you meet people who bring out aspects of you that you wonder, is this particularly me? I can see myself a lot in that character, but not so much anymore. Okay. I'm at a much more comfortable place in my life to say, you know what, that film mattered to me, and now it doesn't. And hopefully you can remember one of the more memorable life lessons offered by Angelina Jolie's Lisa, as she says to Brittany Murphy's character. (laughs) Pray tell, Brian. A man is a dick, is a chicken, is a Valium. (laughs) So just remember that, folks. (laughs) A rose is a rose is a rose is a rose, but a man is a dick, is a chicken, is a Valium. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like us, can't get enough of Winona Ryder. Fear not. We are going to be returning to this quintessential 90s actress. For the first time, we're going to be doing two films that star the same actress. No, no, it's not. What? The Meryl Streep. Oh, sorry. Okay. For the first time, we're going to be doing two episodes that focus, on the, same, like that focus on the same actress. So our next film is going to be something that I haven't seen. Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. Yes, a sumptuous costume drama in which Winona Ryder has a crucial supporting role, but also featuring the gorgeous Michelle Pfeiffer and the ever-enigmatic Dana Day-Lewis, among many others. So if you want to prepare for our next episode in two weeks' time, watch The Age of Innocence. And until then, be sure to tell other people about the podcast any way that you can. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you do, it would be amazing if you left us a review, uh, gave us some stars, told your friends, because that gets us out there in the world. You can follow us on Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. Anything else to say, Sean? Not a single thing. Have you taken your laxatives? Oh, they're out. Uh, Stick out your tongue. Okay. All right. We'll see you all in two weeks. Bye. Downtown, just listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Linger on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. How can you lose? The lights are much brighter there. You can't forget all your troubles, forget all your cares. So 